Listeners, the show is called Don't Ask Tig, but it's definitely not called Tig Don't Ask. So I'm going to do some asking right now. Here's my request. Send me your advice question at don'tasktig.org. Got a fresh conundrum? Something you want to confess to me and my audience? Plagued by a pet peeve? Vexed by bad etiquette? I probably won't be any help, but it'll be fun to try. So try me. Go to don'tasktig.org. I also welcome voicemails at 833-ASK-TIG-4. That's 833-275-8444. Also, don't forget to buy tickets for my ongoing national tour, which I'm calling Hello Again. Tickets are available now at tignotaro.com. Now on with the show. You know, when my first film premiered at Sundance, it was a year that you hosted. Oh, really? At the Oh, how crazy. A long time ago. Like, what, 20? 2015. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, here we are. We yeah. meet again. <laughs> we survived. Yes. We're continuing to survive. Well, yeah. And you're in a cabin. You're, you're surviving in a cabin? This might make my internet excuse a bit lame. I'm in a cabin in Studio City. Oh, the internet is down anyway. Yeah, that is lame. I was picturing something more exciting or romantic. And no, I'm not that far from the one on one. It's right there. <laughs> That's hilarious. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, directing you not to ask me. My next guest is a writer, editor, producer, and director. She co-wrote and directed the Marvel movie Eternals. She won the Academy Award for Best Picture for her film Nomadland, as well as Best Director, making her only the second woman to win the award and the first woman of color, Chloe Zhao. It's an honor to have you on Don't Ask Tig. Thank you for having me, Tig. Thank you for being here all the way from your uh, cabin in Burbank, you said? <laughs> Studio City. Studio City. Same thing, right? Yeah. When I say cabin, people have a very different idea. Yeah, I did. And uh, <laughs> and then you blew it for me. A cabin with no internet. Right. <laughs> That's why it starts to seem romantic and cool. Yeah. And then you reveal that you're near the 101 freeway. But yeah. Chloe. As I mentioned, you wrote and directed Nomadland, which is about a woman in her 60s who lives in a van and travels through the U.S. And mm -hmm. there's something similarly romantic about your cabin. But <laughs> the reality shown in the movie is also it's, mm. it's very gritty. Is mm. that mix of romance and reality something you thought about in the making of the film? I think uh, it's because... When I watch movies or read stories, a little bit fact, a little bit poetry mm -hmm. is what I need to be engaged and to survive. Sometimes too much poetry, you know, I get lost. Too factual, I resist. So the combination of the two is attractive to me. That makes sense. It kind of reminds me of my writing with stand-up. Mm. I like to base it in reality. Mm. And then I like to allow myself to go in a cartoon version in my head. Yeah. 
It's similar, I guess. Yes, very similar. If you couldn't be a creative artist for your day job, which mm. obviously most people can't, yeah, what would you do? Would you travel the country in a van? Not after what I have done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would like to have a like an animal sanctuary ah. kind of thing. Although when I was a kid, people asked me what you want to be. I said private detective. I think everyone kind of goes through that phase. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe not anymore. So so animal sanctuary would be nice. It'd probably be hard after the recognition you got to be a private investigator at this point. <laughs> I think I blend in pretty okay. <laughs> See, I feel the same about me. I just, I feel like I look like the most generic lesbian in the <laughs> no. world. I'm like five, five. I recognize you. Short brown hair, brown <laughs> eyes. I went to Mount Holyoke, so. What's that? <laughs> I went to Mount Holyoke. It's the oldest women's college in this country. Oh, yes. Mount Holyoke. Yeah. Wow. I was about to make the joke that I did see a couple of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're everywhere. But I always yes. feel like I look like the president of this particular look. The archetype. You're, yeah. You're yeah. Presenting the archetype. Right. I like to call it the president of this look. The president. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny because when my wife and I talk about what we would want to do if we didn't do what we did, mm. I always say that I would deliver pizza. <laughs> Vegan, of course. Oh, Peter Parker of you. Yeah. <laughs> and I would just enjoy the smell of pizza in the car mm. and listen to whatever music I like and then mm. just get cold, hard cash in my hand after delivering <laughs> it. And my wife, Stephanie, would like to work in one of those booths where you press the button and the bridge opens and the boat goes through. Oh, well, there's a lot of power in that position. Well, and she said a lot of time for her to read books. Yes. I get very nervous when I leave a parking garage. Uh I don't know why. Yeah. It's like, I always feel like I've done something wrong. So the person who is going to let me out, I always get very anxious that I might say something wrong. They get upset and let me out. So there's power to that. There sure is. (laughs) Now, since this is an advice show, is there anything you've been wanting advice about? Maybe I can help you out. Mm. I can't promise it. I mean, so many. Where do I even start? Oh, well, only one. I would say um, this morning I woke up feeling a little um, angry. Oh. <laughs> uh, feeling a little bit, um, you know, shaken by what's going on out there in the world. And yeah, and uh, I usually not detach myself, but I usually take a step back and know my role as a storyteller is important to not get too inflamed. That's not my position in the society. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't necessarily benefit what I am supposed to do, you know, telling stories. So I guess the advice would be like, how do you take that step back? Is there, do you take a shower? Do you talk to your wife? How do you get centered? Well, I love to take baths if we're going to get really specific, oh, but good. I know what you're saying that you feel like it's not your position. I feel like a storyteller. I'm a comedian writer, mm. but that's just one part of who I am. Yeah. And so I do think that it's Mm. good to be angry as long as it's being used the right way. Yeah. Because it certainly can motivate. Yeah. And I'm sure you do more things than just tell stories. And I think that that's one good thing about getting that type of information about the world is Mm. when you get angry, making sure that you're channeling it to do something that is going to hopefully change something 
But obviously, you do tell stories and you are changing the world in that way. But what will you do with the other parts of you to help change the world and to direct your anger Mm. in a positive way? I was just talking about this with my therapist yesterday about how (laughs) anger can be good if it's it's directed Mm. in the right way. Yeah, I guess it's fire is the only thing that really transforms and with, with other elements, you know, and then so for water and to come through, you kind of have to, the fire has to, to burn first. Mm-hmm. It's not always a bad thing. Yeah. 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 You have to have darkness for there to be light. Yeah. You have to have light for there to be darkness. So yeah. I think you're doing all right. I would just highly <laughs> recommend a bubble bath. Bath is everything. I, I honestly, when I'm surrounded by water, Mm-hmm. with hopefully some nice herbs in there and yeah. oils. And it just, it feels like everything's going to be okay. And I'm so connected. Right. We don't take enough bath. I, I do, but maybe <laughs> you should take more. Yeah. So you're an Oscar winning filmmaker for the rest of your career. That's never going to change. Mm-hmm. Do you feel intimidated <laughs> by that? Do you feel like, no, that makes sense um and i'm an oscar award winning director or are you like what in the hell is there pressure do you put the pressure on yourself do other people put it on you or are you just like that was that project off to the next a little bit that last one Uh uh-huh but i'm not going to play it down by saying it didn't fulfill a fantasy yeah you know and that was great yeah in that sense and um my parents very happy. I bet. <laughs> but there's a lot of labels these days. Uh-huh. Sometimes these labels are created for really important and good reasons, but also there's many of them. And I sometimes feel that um, we live in a world where it's very comfortable for us to make sure people have labels so we can make sense of them mm-hmm. in a world that is you know, we don't even know what we believe sometimes, you know, it's so confusing with so much information. And I think as a creative, I, I need to always make sure that I keep shedding these labels so that I can hear my own voice. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, after a while, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's something that I for sure relate to when people ask about being a um, female comedian, a gay comedian, mm. or how do you feel mm-hmm. about being yeah. known for having cancer? Yeah. I'm always just like, call me whatever you want to call me, but it has nothing to do with me or how I see myself. You have so much multitude in you. You do so many different things. It's almost impossible to define you into one or two, three things. Or to really define anybody. But it's truly just like, I I really don't care what people call me. I'll be over here writing jokes, you know, and then call me whatever you want. So in your training, like particularly being a comedian, I mean, is there any advice you would have for people coming up? What I think about all the time is, you know, I would be getting on a road that I was set on or excited about or interested in, whatever it was. And then I think it's good to have the flexibility in what Mm. we do in our career to be able to shift your focus shift your interests, your wants, your needs, your style. Mm. I think you have to be completely ready to pivot to pivot 
and you might want this, want this. Yeah. And there's a lot of no, no, no. Mm-hmm. And then if you just keep going in that direction of mm-hmm. no, 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 it doesn't always open. And so mm-hmm. it might be good to just look to your left or right because there might yeah. be an entrance mm-hmm. on the side of the building or in the back door or something. But I think that that really is what helped me because I got really focused in one direction. I kept hearing no, no, no. Mm. And I didn't know for a long time to just turn a little bit, Mm. get a different perspective. Mm. That's a really good advice. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, you know, Chloe, Mm. being a, a movie director involves giving out advice right? Yeah. I mean, to some degree. So (laughs) to some degree. (laughs) Well, I mean, it just depends on what your style is. You know, there's some directors that I feel like aren't really giving advice. They're just like, whatever you want to do, you know? Uh, And then there's, and then there's others that are like, do this. Yeah. Where do you fall in that spectrum? I think that depends which actor you ask, you yeah. know, <laughs> because whether you're a professional actor or non-professional actor, or even the camera, the production design, sound, it really depends on who the person you work with and how much you are already in line. Uh-huh. And each project requires different things. Yeah. Well, I personally think you're overqualified to help my listeners. So um, are you ready <laughs> to get started here? Sure, I'll try. All right. Our first question is from a listener in need of creative counsel. Mary writes, I have an idea, nay, a great idea for a movie. Should I write it as a screenplay, which I've never done before, or should I write it as a novel and hope it gets picked up as a movie, which I've never done before? I've written poetry and a few short stories, but I love TV and film. I would also like to make some money before I die, but that's secondary. I, right away, I'm like, oh my gosh, write the movie, not the novel. (laughs) (laughs) Writing a novel sounds like a living hell. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I I can imagine writing a novel definitely requires more work than writing a screenplay. Uh I don't care who... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just, it's just logistical. Um, Yeah. But it's also, if you really want to make a lot of money, create your original IP. Uh huh. And that would be writing the novel version of it. And then it could be turned into many different things by people who can do it many different ways. And original IP is so rare. I mean, it's all about that these days. So I feel like if you have an incredibly original idea Mm -hmm. and if you've written short stories already, that's something. Mm-hmm. I don't think screenwriting is that complicated to learn. It's complicated. I think it's more complicated than people would imagine. It's hard to do it to like a really incredible level. You know, I'm, I'm learning about it every day, reading mm-hmm. these incredible scripts. But I feel like having a first draft uh-huh. just to get it out of your system is yeah. a very quick way to do it. It's through a screenplay. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Now, Chloe, are you willing to give out your personal phone number for Mary to call you uh, or any random person to get your number and call you to submit their screenplays and maybe you'll direct? Uh, Maybe not my phone number, but I can give you my assistant's email. No. no. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine how many people would send in? Six um, for six. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I agree. I've written a book. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of book that you could read by a pool in an afternoon. <laughs> and it took me four years to write. And that's a story I know. I know my own story. And mm -hmm. it took me forever to write. Yeah. And to write a novel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. If you can write a novel, write it. But I would say, write a screenplay. Mm -hmm. I'm on Chloe's side with this. <laughs> or if you have all the time in the world, or you can just whip up a novel, then do them both. But a screenplay definitely seems more reasonable. I believe there's something called a National Novel Writing Month, mm -hmm. where everyone just write a novel in a month. It doesn't matter the quality, just keep going. Get rid of your inner editor, mm. just write. Oh, And that's maybe helpful. that's something interesting to participate because everyone out around the world is doing it in that month. And then you can maybe get some partners online and do it together. That's perfect advice. Write your novel in one month and then write the screenplay. And then we'll have Chloe attach herself as director. All right, Mary. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that Chloe is an authority on this topic. So um, best of luck to you. All right, Chloe, sit tight. We're going to pause for a break. More questions when we return. That's good. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowe, Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we are back. Chloe, this next question comes in the form of a segment we're calling Come Back to Me Later. Come back to me, Come back to me, come back to me later. Everyone wishes they had the perfect response at the ready for certain social interactions. Come Back to Me Later is the segment where we make that wish come true. Today's request for help comes from Kayla. Kayla writes, how should a parent respond when a stranger says, they're an only child, aren't they? 
clear judgment in their voice about a toddler. Oh, man. How do they know I'm an only child? Are you an only child? And I've heard that many times in my life. Yeah. Okay. And not not only to the parents, but to me, you're only child, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) And what do you suppose it is about you that would make people uh, call you out on it? Because you seem very low key to me sitting in a cabin by a freeway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I don't always like share my stuff. Okay. (laughs) I'll be like, this is my room. Yes. I just want it to be exactly how I want it to be. Uh Uh-huh. And then your roommate or your partner said, you're only child, aren't you? And so what do you say to that? I say, yes, get out of my, you know, this is my life. (laughs) (laughs) So you just own it. I think there's pros and cons of being like, for example, I also, when I'm at a meal, I'm not in a hurry to inhale everything, which mm-hmm. my partner is a brother of three. Uh-huh. For him, I was like, what, what, why are you still in a hurry? We just sat down in a restaurant because he has brothers fighting for his food growing yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, I see. I don't know. <laughs> I think the grass is always greener. Yeah. And yeah. I say I'll work. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? I'll add to that. Oh, like, here we go. Here we go. Being an only child, uh-huh. you do have a lot of time alone. Uh-huh. And those lonesome times at a young age, you could be seen as very sad sometimes, lonely. And, but also you had a lot of inner dialogue and imagination cultivated during those times. Right. So I definitely wouldn't trade those times of mine for a sibling, uh-huh. no matter how much I wish I had one right now. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it does tend to make people very creative and uh, it kind of goes along with that idea of boredom and Mm -hmm. boredom being that necessary fuel for imagination and creativity. Mm -hmm. So it seems like judgment. Mm -hmm. And so the judgment element you're saying to just own it and be like damn straight this is an only child sometimes when i was a kid i would miss i mean <laughs> sometimes i maybe not behaving my best and it depends on the situation <laughs> are you well behaved now sometimes so uh, <laughs> i i think it depends on Look, you should never say that in front of a child. Uh, so I, yeah. I would say, protect your child, hold out the mirror and say, this mm-hmm. is not about you, kid. It's about that person that's saying it. Mm-hmm. Just then walk away and make sure <laughs> your child is okay. It's not, you know, causing trouble. Kayla could stoop to like an argumentative place with this person being no. judgmental. And Kayla could say, yes, we weren't able to have more children. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that can shut them up. Yeah. 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 You know, take that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of what's going on in Kayla's life. Yeah. Because it reminds me of when people say, smile when you're walking around and somebody tells you to smile, and you could easily be coming back from a funeral or something. (laughs) Or I cheer up. Yeah. expecting so much of you and you're just trying to go about your life or maybe you're having a terrible day or life. (laughs) I don't know, Kayla. I think your child's perfect. Yeah. All right. Perfect. And I wouldn't worry too much about that. And I don't know if the kid is going to pick up on what that means if they're an only child, aren't they? But maybe they would. But if they're not, Mm. or they're not in earshot, I would just say, um, yeah. And Aren't they wonderful? Yeah. As a child, you know, looking at my mother, 
I would less likely look at that person, but how my mother react. Uh huh. You know, that's a good point. If she is, I feel like embarrassed of me. That would really hurt me. Yeah. I wouldn't care, especially a child. I wouldn't even care about that person. Not right. the way I would now as right. an adult, unfortunately. But I, it only mattered to me when my mother,、uh-huh. if she's proud of me or she, if she protected me and know who I am. Yeah. All right. Well, Kayla, I don't know if any of that's going to help you. This show is <laughs> called "Don't Ask Tig." All right. I also don't have kids, so what? I'm, <laughs> don't listen to me on that one. Yeah, Chloe doesn't have kids, and I have a show called "Don't Ask Tig." So I don't know what we're supposed to do. All right. This next listener is a parent, just like our friend Kayla. Good luck, Kayla. <laughs> Jessica writes, "Hello, Tig. I can use some parenting advice. My son has one more year left of high school. He's not a good student and lacks motivation to pass his classes or even show up sometimes. I'm concerned that he's giving up and won't graduate. He wants to go into filmmaking and/or animation as a career. He's very determined and a talented artist, but I worry that not having a diploma will hold him back." I want to be encouraging and supportive, but I end up nagging him instead. Should I push him more about school or let it go? Thanks for any advice or insight. Well, you know this is where I struggle. I I know we've all heard this from me many times, but I've failed three grades and I dropped out of high school, and I only have a seventh grade education. My wife dropped out of high school. But she dropped out her senior year with a four point one because she knew she wanted to act,、oh. and she has made a living as an actor since she dropped out. So <sighs> I'm terrible with this, and Stephanie and I talk about this all the time. Of like, what are we going to do as two <laughs> dropouts with our kids? You know,、um, but. It feels like people are going to do what they're going to do. I mean, I went and got my GED,、hmm. and then my cat ate it, <laughs> and what's left of it, I have framed on my wall in my office. Nobody has ever asked for my GED, and I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think there is a world where if your child is showing so much passion about something. Is there any way to get them involved in some sort of filmmaking or animation camp or、mm-hmm. something to nurture that and show that you're on their side? I know it would have felt incredible to me if I was nurtured in that way. I mean, my mother did, my stepfather didn't understand it, and、mm. that was really hard for me. I mean, he、mm. came around years later, but I think that when Parents are rooting for their kid to do what they want to do. It feels so good,、mm-hmm. and it creates confidence.、Mm-hmm. And I think that ends up being the most important thing. And I'm going to say it over a diploma. <laughs> When I look back, that would have done me so much good if I was nurtured and pushed in the direction that I was going, because、mm-hmm. nobody's asked for any. Sort of certification in anything I've done. Yeah, but I want to hear what you have to say, Chloe. When you you were reading out the question, I laughed because it was describing me in school because I was failing every class, and all I wanted to do is to be an animator.、Um, uh-huh. Now I didn't think I could make films, but I wanted to be an animator. So I just had this weird feeling that I didn't believe that. This education 
system as wonderful as it is, is made for everyone. Mm. I didn't think it was for me. Right. I just could not pass these classes or was interested in. Yeah. And obviously every country have good and bad when it comes to their education system. I think we have to really look at where these education systems come from. If you really mm-hmm. rewind a lot of time past, then there's a lot of dogma to it that isn't very mm-hmm. healthy, just like how we're trying to sort of loosen dogmas in many, many different areas in modern society, knowing that we may have given up something in the past that are important. I think same is the education system. And I feel like if your child has a creative tendency and wants to tell stories, and there's many other ways to learn. Mm-hmm. If I could do it, and I know many of my colleagues could do it without going to film school, I wouldn't have gone to film school. Mm-hmm. But I just did not, I didn't know anybody and I didn't, yeah, I couldn't quite do it myself. So I really didn't think I had a choice, but go to film school. But yeah, I think it's, you're right, camps and just make something, make something on your phone. Maybe encourage him to make something on the phone, you know, start a YouTube channel or something. Because more people are watching those than the movies these days. <laughs> For sure. And and what if you made some sort of deal? Like your graduation present will be mm. a small budget to make mm. a short film or something. Yeah, yeah. Because if your kid isn't looking like they're going off into college or anything like that, it might be nice to supply them if you have the finances Mm. or if you don't have the money try and figure out a way in a do-it-yourself way like chloe's saying um with your cell phone or Mm -hmm. whatever it is but to get involved with and interested in what they do and learn about it and help them make it or help fund a very low budget thing and that low budget thing could be what would help them move into their career nicely. So that's what I think, Hmm. Jessica. Write us back and let us know how that works. We're going to take a quick break to answer a question that came in our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. An anonymous listener asks, Is it a bad sign if your grief makes your therapist cry? Um, Anonymous listener. I don't know that there's a a one-size-fits-all type answer here. My question for you is, how did watching your therapist cry affect you? Did it make you uncomfortable? Does it make you feel more reluctant? to open up in future sessions? Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells? Or did this confirm to you that your therapist is deeply listening and empathizing with you? You know, so much so that they shared in some of your grief. Is it relieving to see that they are still human? (sighs) I don't know. I think uh, no matter who you are, hearing other people's pain It could probably make some people numb. And then here your therapist is really feeling it. Maybe they were going through something. I don't know. I could see this going in any any which way. And um, the answer is probably all of the above. It feels complicated, just like emotion. Whenever I hear a song that my mother loved, it inevitably makes me cry. 
And I am feeling the happiest and saddest I've ever felt in my life at one moment. And it only looks like sad. So it's definitely something that that you need to figure out. And talking to your therapist about it is probably good because they have that training and experience to reflect and check in about that relationship that you have and the experience that you went through together. I think it's okay to bring up anything with your therapist, whatever they've said or done and how it affects you. Maybe this is a good thing to get out of the way at the beginning of your next session. You could just say, hey, I wanted to check in about our last session. I saw that you got emotional and I wanted to talk about that and what it meant for you and for our work together in the future. Just remember, it's not your job to take care of your therapist's emotions, so don't be afraid to communicate about this and figure out the best way forward for you. I hope that's been helpful or at least somewhat reassuring. We want to hear from you. So send us your therapy etiquette related questions at don'tasktig.org. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Now let's get back to our conversation with Chloe Zhao. Chloe, our last listener question is about sleep. <laughs> Rebecca writes, hi, Tig, do you have any tips for focusing or unfocusing your mind when you're trying to fall asleep or to fall back asleep after waking in the middle of the Mm. night? I often take a long time to fall asleep because my mind races to every possible Mm. topic. I'm wondering if you have any tips for overcoming this, like in the realm of counting sheep. Mm. Are there other kinds of meditative techniques that help you tune out the noise to fall asleep? Well, Rebecca, you're writing to the right and wrong person because I (laughs) have started having trouble sleeping and there's a few things I've tried and they all work on different nights and then they all don't work on different nights. But I have found that they do work. It's just not always consistent. One of the things I have tried is CBD oil. I don't do it every night because I built up a tolerance. Mm -hmm. And this isn't with THC. This is just the CBD oil. So I take that about an hour before bed. I put it under my tongue and I really let it sit there for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I go to bed and I usually fall asleep pretty well if I do that maybe once or twice a week if I spread it out. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I've learned is I need to have earplugs in and that just really keeps me in like just the containment of my head and I'm not distracted by listening for noises or hearing anything. And trust me, Mm -hmm. I have three cats, a wife, (laughs) two kids, a father-in-law. We have a full house. And so I sleep with earplugs. And then another thing, speaking of counting sheep, what I do is I count backwards from 50 over and over And you know, it is so funny when I'm counting backwards from 50, (laughs) sometimes I'll lose track of counting and Mm. I'll get frustrated with myself and I'll realize the next day it's because I was about to fall asleep and I didn't know it in the moment because I'm so tired. Yeah. So I'll be like 30, 29, (laughs) where was I? And in that moment, it's hilarious how I have no clue why I'm struggling with numbers. (laughs) 
but I am asleep within seconds. And then another thing I do is I make sure that the room is as dark as possible. Mm -hmm. I'll put pillows around my head Mm. and I don't close my eyes. I keep my eyes open and I stare into the darkness of like a pillow wall and that will make my eyes tired. Mm. And that makes me end up falling asleep because I've noticed that when I watch TV or when my eyes are open, that's what makes me fall asleep is when I'm awake Mm. is what makes me tired. So that's why I've decided not to close my eyes. What about you, Chloe? Do you have trouble sleeping? I mean, my head races like crazy too. So it's, it's rough. This topic I'm very passionate about just because it's a survival thing for people in my uh-huh. field. If we can't shut it off, then it's just over for us. We're going to just go insane because yeah. you live in your head all day long. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, absolutely no cell phone for two hours before bed. I know this is so tough, mm-hmm. but no cell phone two hours before bed and uh-huh. no screens because that's mm-hmm. just give yourself a huge head start. And I actually been doing something that um, I use candles and, and not lights in the evening. Natural light. Yeah, if you look at my dogs, they usually are asleep. Doesn't matter what TV is blaring if the sun went down. Because they're in the circadian rhythm. Uh-huh. But because of the amount of lights that we have, uh, artificial lights that we have, it disturbs our sleep rhythm that yeah. we, we're naturally born with. So I use candles in the evening mm-hmm. instead of house lights. Uh, it cheats sometimes, but that really makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Even when you're reading under candlelight, you get less motivated after a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, a sound machine is crucial for me because I have dogs that are guard dogs. So any little sound, they're going to bark. So having like a, a white noise sound machine, uh-huh. the one they use for babies, uh-huh. very helpful. Um, you probably know this, taking a bath. Uh-huh. Not right away, but maybe like an hour before. Yeah. Get your body temperature regulated. It's amazing. And then uh, don't eat three hours before sleep. Yeah. If you try not to snack anything. Um, the last thing is, uh, <laughs> that is <laughs> it's, it's going to be, sounds a little, ooh, is that if I wake up in the middle of the night and I, my head are, are racing, you can feel sometimes it's hard to even close your eyes. Your eyes are sore mm-hmm. and you can feel all the pressure in your head because you're just thinking. I use crystals. Uh-huh. And I know that, that that might not work for someone, but when I put, a crystal on my forehead mm-hmm. or I one on my stomach. It just puts mm-hmm. me to sleep. I don't know if it's the weight mm-hmm. or this pressure point or something. It just pull me down. Instead of, you know, I'm like lifted up with all these thoughts and the weight just like push me down back on the bed. Yeah. There's so many different things that work for different mm-hmm. people. And I say, do it. Try it. As long as it's yeah. not going to hurt you or something. But you know what I also have learned that is very helpful is going to bed and waking up at the same time. Yeah. And I would hear about that and I'd think, okay, sure. But when you really think about it, and maybe it's obvious to everyone, but it's to get yourself in a pattern and train your body that you're going to bed now, you're going to bed now, you're going to bed now, and you're going to wake up now and go to bed now. And it takes a while to get into that habit. But I go to bed for sure, I'm in bed by 9.30 every night. Yeah. And my sleep is so important to me. And maybe don't drink a lot before bed because yeah. that can wake you up, you know, and you can get up and have to go to the bathroom. But uh, I don't know. You know, there's um, 
for a long time, I felt a bit shameful about sleeping. Mm-hmm. There's this pressure that sleep, you know, I have so much to do. I need to work. I need to do stuff. And no. I'm not recognizing that you are actually working when you're sleeping, the most important work. Yeah. I'm embarrassed that I have such a problem with it and that I've become one of those people that's like, oh my gosh, I haven't slept. Oh my gosh, I only slept two hours. Oh my gosh, I only slept four hours. That I feel shame about. I'm so proud to go to bed early. I do my stand-up shows at seven o'clock because I want to stay on my sleep routine. That's such a good message for people in our industry because- Sleep is considered like a problem we have, you know, better like find ways to have less sleep so we can work more. Not me. I go on stage at seven. Good for you. I leave the venue at 830, (laughs) get home or to my hotel by nine, and I'm in bed by 930 to stay on my sleep routine. So if you've seen me live and you think, why is the show at seven (laughs) o'clock? It's because I prioritize my sleep. Good for you. It's true. All right. Well, hopefully Rebecca fell asleep during that (laughs) advice we were giving. (laughs) Chloe and I are rooting for you to get a good night's rest. Chloe, before I let you Mm. go, there's one final thing that I need your help with. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, wow. In terms of life or filmmaking? Anything. Anything. In terms of filmmaking, it was that you got to live a life to tell stories. Mm-hmm. I was very eager to go to undergrad to study film. Not saying that that's not the way to do it, but I haven't really traveled or met people. You know, I haven't really lived, lived. So I was advised to try to understand the world a bit more before diving into mm-hmm. all the technical things. Yeah, That was a huge, huge crossroad that I was at. And I think it made a big difference. Um, the best advice I received in life would be that you don't really have to shout if you know that you are in power. That's good. That's really good. What's the worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's the worst advice you ever received? I have to think about that. What's the worst advice I've ever received? Yeah. Um. I don't know if it was exactly clear advice, but I remember being told that I was just eventually going to become a TV writer, Mm -hmm. that a low-key female comedian isn't going to become a headlining comedian. Mm -hmm. What they say, Thursdays on NBC, there's not a show for that you know, when it was network television that was running the world. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, I guess that world isn't for me, but I'm just going to keep doing it as long as I want until I have to become a TV writer. Mm. And then I just kept doing it. And, you know, I write stuff. I write my comedy. My wife and I Mm. create and produce stuff together. But if I had just thrown in the towel and just gone and gotten a job writing for somebody else's show. I don't think I would be a happy person. And that's not to say that's a bad career or life that works for some people, but it wasn't ever what I was looking for. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a lot of worse advice floating around. And I actually had an intuition about something really strongly. For example, um, this is not the right person to partner up with for work. I just, I know it so well. And then yet I get a lot of 
noises saying, hey, maybe just spend some time with the person or like, you know, give it a go, try it all out of sort of good nature. And then you do it. And after you do it, you start to go, oh, I made the effort. Let's just do it. And then <laughs> when you're in the middle of a shitstorm, you're like, why do I listen to my own intuition? Yeah. And if you get enough sleep, your intuition uh-huh. is 99% of the time the right thing to do. Yeah. You know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. All right. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for taking the time for being on the show. That was so fun talking to you. Yeah. So good talking to you. I got some good advice to go home with. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to um, let our listeners know about or promote? Get lots of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully our paths will cross again and all the best to you. All the best to you as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. One last thing, my tour Hello Again is headed to Birmingham, May 19th, Nashville, May 20th, Amherst, Massachusetts, May 25th, Ithaca, New York, May 26th, Ottawa, June 3rd, Toronto, June 4th, San Diego, July 23rd, Vancouver, August 5th, Victoria, August 6th, and Honolulu, August 12th. So hopefully I will see you there. Get your tickets and a list of all other upcoming dates. New ones are coming all the time. Go to tignotaro.com. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Eric Romani, Alex Simpson, and Derek Ramirez. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. That's what you'll have.
Hi, I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. <laughs>